It was such an honor and a privilege attending Police Week in Washington, D.C. recently with my good friend, Alex Menez. We both work for FHE Health with the Shatterproof Program for First Responders. And it was amazing to see all the support for our brave men and women who serve in the military and in first responder communities. Now, Alex and I were pretty busy during this event. We were connecting and speaking with so many great people from around the country and sharing the message of hope and healing with FHE Health. Now, Alex encouraged me to bring my uh, podcasting equipment, and I did. That was a great suggestion from Alex, and I was able to do short interviews from a variety of people that were stopping by our booth, and that's what this next show is about. It's a combination of shows where I talk to amazing people who are doing amazing things for their communities and the first responder community. I hope you enjoy this collaboration of interviews next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. You know, as a law enforcement officer, we are constantly being presented with various forms of identification, and you're expected to positively ID the people you encounter. But today's counterfeit IDs are practically impossible to differentiate from real ones. Without the certainty of knowing their true identity, your confidence wanes as you contemplate the consequences of an incorrect assessment. You deserve the proper tools to ensure your safety and your community depends on you to protect them. Backup has arrived. SureScan puts the power to identify fake IDs with 99.9% accuracy right in the palm of your hands. It was created by an active law enforcement officer who understands the importance of checking IDs in a way that's simple, fast, and unquestionably accurate. Visit surescan.us forward slash CJ Evolution to schedule your demo and see how well SureScan Age ID can help you stay safe while you're protecting your community. Visit surescan.us forward slash CJ Evolution. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. If you are struggling, and I know a lot of you are, please reach out today to FHE Health and their Shatterproof program for first responders. The number is 844-650-1399. That's 844-650-1399. Or reach out to me direct. I'm a national liaison for FHE Health, 303-960-9819. On to these great shows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Pat Fitzgibbons here. Police Week in Washington, D.C. 2022. I am here with the lovely 
Amanda Coleman from Irish Angel. Amanda, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. I mean, it's a wonderful event. The sky's a little, a little cloudy, but it's nice out. A lot of people here, a lot of support for our brave men and women. Irish Angel is taking the country, the United States, by storm. You're doing so much great work out there for our brave men and women. Can you tell the audience, uh, Amanda, a little bit about Irish Angel? What was the, what was the catalyst for its creation? Um, basically, about six, seven years ago, I've seen the war on police officers here in the United States. Yeah. I have family in law enforcement in Ireland, um, and I know the people behind the badge. Even though I'm from a different country, they all bleed blue. Oh, wait, you're, you're from a different country? You never guessed, would you? <laughs> 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 right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it, it really bothered me. Um, and in doing more research on it and wanting to help, yeah. I posted messages of support on LinkedIn and it blew up yep. overnight. And uh, the following grew. And I was so shocked by the police departments who had reached out to me because morale was so low that they didn't think, you know, that people supported them. And it was basically showing them that the work they do wasn't yeah. in vain. So um, then I was learning about the suicide rate within law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I knew it was there in the veteran community. I didn't realize how bad it was within the first responder community. So my mom suffers with PTS and she used addiction as a crutch. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's very close to my heart. Yeah. So I knew, I, I grew up in that environment, so I understand it. Um, so that coupled with what I know of the people behind the badge, I wanted to do something to help yeah. them. Yeah. So myself and the sheriff in Schenectady got together and we put together Irish Angel. Yeah. So um, we're a 501 since December 2019. But because of COVID and because of the riots and everything else, we basically had to take a back seat. Yeah. So we educated ourselves a bit more. We realized the areas that we needed to move in in order to be able to help people because we wanted to be proactive as opposed to just being a support network. So now the funds that we raise goes to help in law enforcement and first responders and veterans who are in financial difficulties if they can't afford the treatment if it's out of state, which nine times out of ten it is. Um, or if they have a treatment that's not covered under their insurance, we yeah. try and help with that that's too. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. So many resources out there yeah. to help brave men and women. I think sometimes cops and other first responders don't think, well, they, they can't afford it. Folks, I know money's always going to be an issue with treatment, but trust me, there's a bunch of resources out there, Irish Angel being one of them, that can help you get the treatment you, exactly. you need. And money, money should not be the issue when it comes to your mental health. Exactly. You know what I mean? So... Now, in Ireland, I mean, that's where you're from. I mean, are they suffering from yes. the, the same problems here in the United States? We had 15 suicides last year. That's horrible. And our country is tiny. It's not even the size of one of your states. So when you take that in, the scale of that into, into consideration, it's massive, like, yeah. you know, and it, it's something. It's an epidemic across the, across yeah, the world. Yeah. It really is because what we're facing now in today's environment is just whether it's reform, whether it is hate from the public, you know, this rhetoric that's built against them, that just has an, a massive impact on what they already suffer through every day. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, people are more, more on the edge now than they ever have been. Yeah. So it's so important that we get this done. Yeah. That we, that's why we're growing the chapters is because we want to be able to give more people more help. Yes. Within, within the states. Yeah, you amazing, know? amazing work you're doing, yeah. uh, Amanda. So 
So glad to meet you. We're going to spend some time together down in Florida in the next couple of weeks. Yes, we are. And if people want to reach out to you, if they can see the great work you're doing, where can they find you? On www.irishangel.org. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Amanda. And I look <laughs> forward to for seeing you in me. the future. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm very excited. A gentleman just walked up to our booth here, and Alex and I introduced himself as Shatterproof alumni, Chris from New Jersey. Works for an agency. Chris, what agency again? Uh, Fairfield. Fairfield agency up in the great state of New Jersey. And he's an alumni of the Shatterproof program. And I was like, I got to see if Chris is going to hop on the show with me. Chris, so glad you're here, brother. So glad that you are uh, still in recovery. And you went to the Shatterproof program. For the listeners out there, can you tell us your experience? If you're willing to talk about it, tell us about your experience at Shatterproof. Yeah, Shatterproof program is a life-changing program for me. You know, my sobriety started, actually, my last drink was February 16, 2020. So my sobriety date will be February 17, 2020. And since that point in time, I've learned to regain my life. My life before was just in shambles. Uh, I was just existing, you know, in addition to alcohol, I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. I was drinking at least 10, 24 ounces of coffee for the last couple months before that last drink. But every time I tried to address my alcohol, I thought I had it. I was like, oh, you know what? I'll change my alcohol. Let's go from beer to wine. Let's go from wine to shots. It's not as bad. It's not as bad. Not as bad. But you know what? It came out even worse and worse. So my last incident made me, I got assaulted outside of a bar, knocked out, unconscious, Woke up in the hospital after they pulled the breathing tube out. They said I had a problem. I said I knew I had a problem. You need to keep your job. And I said, I don't care about my job anymore. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter about the job. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. So I decided at that point that I needed the help. And I went through the Princeton House first. And then I went to the Shadowproof Program. And the Shadowproof Program, I was there during the time of COVID. Yeah, yeah. So we were on, we called it Corona Island. No, <laughs> nothing with the beer, of course, but just Corona I Island. I remember the uh, little yeah. island down there. Uh, amazing men and women that I met in the program. Amazing people uh, in therapy. The therapists were great. Um, it really reconnected myself. It yeah. reset my whole mind and everything. Yeah. Because as they say, you know, with the serenity prayer, and as they say, you give up one thing to gain everything. Yeah. I had that one thing I used and destroyed everything. So alcohol was my vice. Yeah. So the Shadowproof program, it's there. The mental health component exists in our business. Yeah. I'm not shy to say I'm, I have anxiety, I have depression, and PTSD. Yeah. Not only am I a police officer, but I'm also a paramedic. So doing my paramedicine, I've seen a lot of bad things, you know, and a lot of it, what do we do? We don't talk about it. No, we, because we suppress. And it's, it's just, nobody wants a stigma. No. It's like this. If I say, hey, you know, I have, you have cancer, yeah. you're like, oh, my God, I feel bad for you. But if you say, hey, I have mental health issues, everybody backs away. Yeah. Because then they worry, think that you're, you're weak. I'm yeah. not weak. I'm actually stronger now. And, yeah. you know, my agency and all the men and women I've met throughout my sobriety um, has been amazing. Yeah. You know, it's, it, this is the best part of my life. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm 49 now. It took me 47 years, a 30-year-plus drinking career, starting yeah. as it didn't just happen during law enforcement. This is going back to teenagers. My first drink was probably age 13, 12, around that. And it would be a little binge drinking, and then binge drinking got worse and worse. Yeah. So, well, but uh, the Shadowproof program works for people. Uh, I'm, I participate still with, with uh, keeping in contact with them. Uh, there's a Monday night um, Zoom that we do, a, a group of us. Um, and I participate in the recovery group, Full Recovery of Fairfield. They, they partner with uh, Shadowproof of FHE, um, and they're great. Yeah. Yep. The, the one thing down there, brother, you've been through it, and, and I went through it, that really 
was an eye opener for me was the neurostimulation. Oh yes, neurofeedback. Uh, it was just a game changer. I mean, after biobed, I have yeah, to say, biobed Sue, biobed Sue, biobed Sue down she there. She was great. You know, <laughs> uh, Amanda who did the therapy, and uh, yeah, yeah, Brittany. You had all, yeah. everybody there. Yeah, and Jimmy, uh, and yeah. and all those guys. Uh, Doctor Sachi, she was yeah. she was great. Uh, you know, Ray. Yeah, Ray. Ray. You got to love Ray. You know, Jim. Scares Jim Hauser is my therapist. <laughs> Jim is was great. Like, there, I have no complaint. Yeah. But the thing is, is you have to remind anybody is you have to do it for yourself. Yeah. I didn't do it because, you know, I'm, I'm divorced now. And I was going through a you know, bitter divorce that so worked was I, out. Yeah. And my, I had, you know, my daughter lost connection. She saw all my behaviors. But I wasn't doing it for them. I was doing it for myself. Because exactly. if you can't do it for yourself, you can't provide for others. Yeah. Yeah. So since coming back for recovery, I didn't see my daughter for 18 months. Since her birthday in September 2nd. We've been together ever since it's because amazing. she sees me. She trusts me. Yeah. You know, she'll text message me. How you doing, Daddy? She's concerned. I said, you know, I'm going out to a concert. Okay, Daddy, you're not going to have anything to drink. I'm like, nope, I'm not. Yeah. I said, Pumpkin, I'm not going to do that stuff. Yeah. So it, this yeah, the, is great. The one thing I learned, brother, is, you know, the, I learned in therapy was you have to be extremely selfish in your self-care. Not a narcissist or not ego, but you have to learn. You know, it's the old saying. You hear it all the time. You know, oxygen mass drops on the on the plane. You got to put it on yourself first. And yeah. I learned that. And I love my kids and love my family, but I have to put myself first. And I think that's what a lot of people, and especially first responders, we're so used to helping others all mm-hmm. the time. And we're in an epidemic right now. We're in a crisis with so many cops out there. And first, not just cops, but first responders, 39, 40%. Uh, are suffering, and that's the number we know about. Imagine what we don't know about. I agree. I yeah. agree. And it's people, places, and things. Yeah. You know, like even around here, you can be around here, but you have to know your people, places, and things. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to be there that long. Yeah. But like, at least now things are being addressed. Yeah. Uh, I went to an FBI conference back in October, and there were three mental health resources out there. Yeah. In previous ones, you know how many there were there? Zero. Zero. Yeah. So at least we're talking about yeah. it, and that's what's important. Yeah. Brother, I am so proud of you. Thank you for stopping by the tent. Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, the kind words about Shatterproof. It's a great program, uh, and it's so exciting to meet fellow alumni that went through the program and are thriving like you are, sir. Definitely. And I'm always willing to share my information, stuff like that. Text message sometimes or whatever. It's all good. (laughs) All right, brother. All right. Take care, man. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Police Week, D.C. 2022. Uh, Christina just popped in to the show. She is former a law enforcement from Santa Monica, yes. California. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. What do you think about Police Week? It's awesome. This is the first time I've ever been out here, and for I wish I would have came out here when I was still on the job. Yeah, yeah. it's ama- It's first time for me, too. Oh. I've never been out here. So and it's an amazing <laughs> program, amazing event. I mean, it's cool to see how many people are out here just supporting yes. our brave men and women. Tell us a little bit about your career. Santa Monica, Police yeah. Department. Yeah. How many years? I know you're retired. Yes, I was on the job 15 years. Um, I uh, started there. Actually, I was an explorer at 14, and then I just kind of went up the step ladders, became yeah. a cop there. My dad was a cop. My uncle's a cop. Um, and then I had to retire medically in 2008. Um, I had two uh, life, almost life-ending career um, yeah. injuries, and um, I unfortunately had to medically retire. Um, so, yeah, here I am today. <laughs> yeah, and here you're in the Shatterproof tent. You stopped by. We told you, you a little awesome. bit about Shatterproof and what we, we do down at Deerfield Beach. And, and, again, we're doing amazing things with first responders, former first responders. I went there when I was retired. Wow. 
retired in 2019, 23 years, and the program really saved my life. And we, we educated you a little bit about what we do. Yes. Now, what is it like in California, really quick, if you could tell us as far as, like, mental health for our first responders and, and getting them the treatment they need? Well, you know, everyone keeps saying that there's so much mental health um, out there. But realistically, as an officer, it's, it's hard for us to find the right ones yeah. and the ones that are actually going to pick up a phone or actually call you back or really make things happen. Not to mention agencies aren't, or even the cities aren't that quick to give you the help. Yeah. You know, they always say they're there for peer yeah, support. Yeah, we're here for yeah, you and no. all this other stuff, a lot of lip service. Exactly. So now that I'm retired, I've been requesting mental health, um, you know, to go speak to somebody because I've been a shooting, off-duty shooting, going to hit by a car, you know, had a baby die in my arms. I've had so many different things happen, and I'm like, you know, I need to go talk to somebody. I've never spoken to somebody. And I've been requesting, and they've been denying, denying, delaying, and I'm like, this should not be the process. Yeah. It should yeah. be you immediately need to go get help. Let's get you help. And that's what makes me disgusted with the whole process. Yeah, and that's the one thing. Uh, there's a lot of good programs out there, but the one differentiator, I think, with Shatterproof and FHE is when I was going through treatment, you know, from the time I got off the phone with, like, Alex and other people, within 48 hours, you know, I was down in treatment. We were talking about yeah. it before. You know, we don't, we don't mess around. We want to get people down there and get treated as quickly as possible. And, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of programs out there, they'll, oh, we'll call you in two yeah. weeks, three weeks. First responders need help right now. Exactly. Like you, if you, not, you're going to say no. Yeah, I'm exactly. my mind. Yeah, make <laughs> yeah. an excuse. <laughs> exactly. Make an excuse. Yes. So how long are you in town for? I'm here till Monday. Monday, so. and then you head back to beautiful... Back to Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, what's the weather like in, in Oh, it's California? like 98 right now over there. <laughs> I know. I recently moved from Colorado okay. to, to Arizona, and I still have to yet to experience an Arizona, a full Arizona... Oh summer where oh. it's like 115 120 it doesn't get that hot in california oh it can or it can? santa Cruz, it can get very hot what about humidity <laughs> um there's not as much as here the humidity here is very different yeah it's <laughs> where i know i came down here i was like wow you yeah, know it's yeah. it's like different but what do you think some of the you did the job for a long time mm -hmm. what do you what do you think some of the challenges are and i know it's a big broad question mm -hmm. but i'll ask you anyway what do you think some of the challenges for our brave men and women in law enforcement what, what are they facing now I think well now, especially more than ever, I think they're facing a lot more with the defunding, you know, comments with yeah. all this hate stuff and you know all these ambushes. I mean, I, I really feel sorry for the officers right now because I mean, I'm sure a lot of them are breaking down because they. At one point, we felt that we were the heroes in the in a sense, you know, in the sense of like um, people cared, people were pro, um, and they are. I think we don't realize there are so many more people that are oh, pro I police. Agree. You know, everyone thinks it's. There are all these hate haters, but no, realistically, I think the news and social media post all that crap. Yeah. And I think that's what's affected people mentally. So I tell people, try to stay off the social media or try to stay off watching the news yeah. and, and don't listen to all that crap. It's just yeah. like anything. You know, people are going to talk their smack or the haters or whatever, and they want to divide us. I think we continue to stay focused, realize we're doing the job for a reason, to go out there, help the right people. You know, every person out there deserves our help. You yeah. know, we, we, we exactly. can't give up on it because this is happening right now. Yeah. Um, but I, th I think they're dealing with a lot more than when I was on the job. Um, yeah. There's a lot more Same. things that they're going to be dealing with. Yeah, and I agree with you 100%. I tell people all the time, I think the vast majority of people out there mm -hmm. support law yes. enforcement. I wish they were more vocal. Yes. But I think we live in an environment now where people you can't, are, be. Can't, you can't yep. be vocal. But I, I agree with you 100%. I think majority of people out there support yeah. our brave men and women who serve. And I, I just wish they were a little bit more vocal, but yeah. I get the reason why. But, but look why. at here. Last night, went to the candle vigil. Yeah. It was amazing. I didn't. I couldn't believe how many people were out there. I mean, yeah. it was thousands, thousands. I mean, I, I, and it wasn't just police officers. You saw citizens. You saw people walking by who mm -hmm. didn't even know what was going on. And once yeah. they heard, they stood there and watched everything. So I think if these were broadcasted more on TV, 
to show people, look, these people have families. These officers have families. The kids. I saw these two kids walking through the, you know, the the um, the march with the officers, and they're by themselves. Yeah. And you could tell that was probably their father or mother that passed away. They had no escort. Yeah. And I'm looking at them. They're both holding each other, and you know, it, it really made me sad because it's I remember back. Uh, my dad was a cop. He was killed, but he was uh, retired from the force. It was a few years after, and he was killed in Santa Monica. Oh, so my mom didn't have a benefit of being my father being killed in line of duty. So, but I still remember my mom being pregnant, my mom collapsing in my dad's friend's arm. He was a police officer who walked, who drove up to my mom's house, and you know, being kids and just what we dealt with, the struggles and seeing the police, you know, procession and. Yeah. It killed me, and seeing those kids last night, it, it yeah, really it's, killed it's, me. It's, it's amazing, and like you said, it's so, I mean, the energy here, um, you know, I felt it as soon as I came to mm-hmm. Tent City here. I mean, there's just so many great people yes. here from all around the country, all around the world, yes. supporting Leos, and a lot of, obviously, first responders yeah. here, but it's so heartwarming to see yeah. the support out here for our brave men yeah. and women, because you are loved. I tell people all the time on my show, you're honored, cherished, and, and loved, and uh, again, it's amazing that people like you are out here. You've done it for so long. You survived, <laughs> you know, a long. I couldn't imagine, you know, you know what you dealt with on the job out in Santa Monica. I mean, the crime's probably. I mean, it's bad, probably, but yeah. it's probably not as bad. I'm well, not trying to paint a bleak is, picture on people. LAPD. <laughs> this is not Santa Monica. Santa Monica and LAPD are too different. They're, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, LAPD's huge, um, but no, you know, at Santa Monica, just like I tell everybody, crime travels. It has two legs. It's going to get anywhere. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, crap can hit the fan anywhere. Well, what's the po- what, when you were on the force, what mm-hmm. was the sworn, what was the strength of, of the PD? How many sworn did you have? We had, uh, at the time, 300. Or oh, so it's, yeah. a, it's a pretty big agency. Yeah, yeah. And now, I mean, you still keep probably your fingers on the pulse, but is it, I mean, I, like, I imagine Santa Monica is like every agency. They're just fighting for personnel Oh, yes. Now. Everyone right now is fighting. And yeah. I, I mean... I don't think anyone wants to be a cop nowadays because of what they hear, but yeah. then you get the ones that are families of families that do still want to do it because yeah. they know they're doing it for the right reasons. They don't care about what's happening, which is sad because they also don't realize these departments or these cities are not really backing the officers yeah. if something were to happen. Yeah. And that's what's scary. You don't want to tell these officers to, or these kids or whoever, not to become cops because you don't want to discourage them, but at the same time, you also don't want to lie to them and say, look, it's, everything's peachy and dandy, and if you get injured, yeah. they're going to take care of you. No, it's not like that. Well, I think a lot of the young officers, I talk to a lot of young officers or people who want to get, I think they're more in tune with, yeah, not, again, not mm-hmm. maybe not all of them, but they're more apt to ask for help than our, you know, you're in yeah. our generation where we kind of are reserved, we just keep yeah. it hidden. I think a lot of you know, young officers are now more willing to step forward. I, again, maybe maybe it's just me, but the young officers I talk to from oh. all around the country, they're like, yeah, we asked for help. Yeah. Where you and I were like, screw that shit. I know, we're not right? going to ask for help. We're not going to talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> we're fine. We're not crazy. Yeah. Well, Christina, yeah. it was an honor talking no, to you. Thank you. You're great. You're amazing. Any final thoughts you want to give to our brave men and women out there? Be safe out there. Um, don't worry about what everyone's saying and do the job because you did it for the right reason. Excellent, Christina. Honor working with you. We're going to well, keep in you. touch. Yes. Yeah, thank you for stopping by. And if anyone ever wants to talk, have them give me a call. Yeah, I will. <laughs> okay. Well, you want to give your information? Yeah. How can people they, find they, you? They can get me on Instagram under Christina Coria Survivor. Um, and there's no H in my name, so it's C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. Yeah. C-O-R-I-A Survivor. Um, and anything anyone needs, please DM me and I will pick up that phone and you can call me on, I guess, on Instagram nowadays. You can yeah, call yeah, me yeah. on that thing. <laughs> and everybody, all the interviews I've done on CJ Evolution are going to be, they're going to be in the notes. Christina, okay. along with everybody else, contact information are going to be in the show notes. Perfect. Christina. And I just want to let those officers know that are out there that are retired, you're not alone. Yeah. Thank you, Christina. Thanks. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Pat here. Police Week, D.C., 
2022 here with my good friend Alex from Shatterproof and FHE. I'm here right now with Debbie from Copline. Debbie, welcome. Thank you, thank you. So tell us about Copline. Well, Copline was originally started by a therapist who was handling um, police officers after 9-11. Mm -hmm. And she came to the realization that she had no idea what she was doing. And the only person that's going to understand a cop is another cop. Yeah. So she started cop line. And what she does is train police officers to listen to other police officers and hopefully get them the help they need. Yeah. And that's so important. You know, Correct. and Alex knows, and, and some listeners know, that cops were, were not very uh, a very trusting crowd nope. just by the nature of the job. And mm -hmm. I know when I went through treatment, it was so refreshing down at Shatterproof that I was with first responders. Mm -hmm. I was with other people that got it. Mm -hmm. So how did you get, I know you're retired. Tell us about your career really quick. Oh, I was in the NYPD for 20 years. Big NYPD. And, yep. And when I was in the NYPD, they started a program called MAP, which was a peer support program. Mm -hmm. About a year into it, they changed the name to PAPA. They're still a very big organization. And I worked for them for 15 years as a, as a volunteer on my own time yeah. when I wasn't working as a cop. And then uh, towards the end of my career, after I, uh, I, I retired from the police department, I realized there was nothing out there for retirees. So with PAPA, I started their retiree program. Yeah. And I stayed with them for the longest time, but I moved out of New York. Yeah. Oh. And they're only New York. Yeah. So I moved to South Carolina and read in the FOP magazine about Copline. Applied for the position, uh, went through the 40-hour training, and here I am two years later. And Copline is huge, folks. If you've never heard of them, where can they, where can they find Yeah, I know you got a number, 1-800-COPLINE. 1-800-COPLINE. That's our website as well. Yeah. Um, you could find all the information out there. We're international now. Oh, wow. Um, uh, we have 125 listeners so far, but we're always looking for more retirees. So apply, go online. Check us out, and there's an application um, link right on the website. Yeah. And they could, if they're interested in helping us out, they can do that. They can join. They can, you know, apply to become the listener, or if they have companies that are willing to help us out, because we are a non-for-profit, and we go strictly on grants. And I'm glad that you found Debbie with, like, because I'm a retiree too. Mm -hmm. I retired in 2019, but I, I think a lot of retirees out there, I know from my experience, I was like, okay, what's my? I lost kind of like my image. I lost kind of your identity, my identity, mm -hmm. and I was like, what do I do now? So it's it's good to know, like, organizations like Copline are out there, and you know, if a right. retiree is willing to help, yep, uh, another first responder, a young first responder, that you know, Copline would you know train them and take them in because. Right. There's so there's so many first responders like you know I'm pretty yep. sure the choir that need help. I think like 40 percent yep. is a stat I heard that you know first responders, retirees, active duty are suffering from mental health, addiction issues, or both. Mm -hmm. But those are the numbers we know about. Right. Imagine what the number is. Which is I a mean, lot. You would probably yep. know better than I would. Oh, you couldn't even count those numbers because the people we don't know about are the ones that don't go for help. Yeah, and that's the problem. And and, with, and that was the thing with the with. Uh, with the retirees, once with Papa, they didn't help the retirees. That's why yep. we had to start the retiree program. And that's what's unique about our program. We help not only the retirees, not only active cops, which is our main focus, but we help family members. See, that is huge. Moms, dads, spouses, children, anybody who needs to talk to someone. And really, they can just call us up and just chit-chat. Or if they need more assistance, we Shatterproof is one of our referrals. We have providers across the United States that we can get them the type of help that they need. Yeah. But there's always somebody to listen to them, and that's what we have to break down the stigma of. You can talk to someone, and maybe it's just another cop. Uh, yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned families because, mm -hmm. you know, I think they get forgotten a lot. They spouses, do. Mm -hmm. children, 
Uh, you know, I was married a couple times. You know, put my both my wives through <laughs> hell with with my job. Me too. <laughs> and, and and I'm glad you mentioned families because mm-hmm. it's so important. I'm glad Copline is mm-hmm. is offering services mm-hmm. to family members because they're the the. You know, they're silent in the background yep. a lot of times, and we often forget about them, right? Yeah, nobody, they don't know where to go. There, there yeah. is nowhere for them to go. You yeah. know, that's the sad thing about it. And even if they go to a regular mental health person, what do they know about cop yeah. lives and cop relationships and wives that have to deal with their husbands not coming home, you yeah. know? And that's what I love about Copline is, mm-hmm. you know, former cops such as yourself mm-hmm. talking to police officers mm-hmm. because, like we said before, you get it. You've right. walked in those shoes. You've Correct. seen the trauma. You've dealt with the trauma. Mm-hmm. And it's so good that cops are helping cops. Because, yep. like you said, when I started looking for therapy, I'm not knocking the medical establishment, mm-hmm. you know, but I was like, I remember the first therapist I went to, you know, she started crying when I tell, was starting to tell her. And I was <laughs> like, well, okay, I, I'm sorry. I, it wasn't my intention. But how are you helping me? <laughs> are you kidding? I used to make them cry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Actually, my current therapist, and I think everybody should have a therapist, agreed, and I have no problem agreed. saying I have one. She actually works with the military. I live near a military base yeah, yeah. now. She's ideal. But how you know how many I've gone through that I had, like I'd see them for a while, I'm like, yeah, this is not going to well, work. Well, God bless them, you yeah. know. And, and like I said, but it's so refreshing that cop line is out there, you know, mm. cops talking to cops. Right. Okay. And our providers have yeah. been vetted to be, yeah. you know, I, for the cop community. So that's yeah. a good thing. Debbie, you rock. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for stopping by the I, show. No, I loved it. Yeah, you're, you're a natural. Thank you're a natural you. podcaster. we got to get your own show. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Really quick, uh, for any listener out there, please contact Copline, 1-800-COPLINE. The website's the same address, correct? Mm-hmm, correct. Is it .org or .com? It's a .org. It's a .org. Yeah. That's what I thought. So mm-hmm. 1-800-COPLINE, www.1800copline.org. Debbie, you're amazing. Thank you for your service. Thank you for yours. All right. Thank you for hopping on. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm here with Jim, who is a law enforcement professional somewhere in this country. And more importantly, Jim's going to talk about peer support, how important it is, and how you kind of, with your agency, we're not going to name the agency, but how important it is for first responders. Yeah, it, it's extremely important. So I, I came from a, a mid, mid to large size agency that actually didn't have a peer support team in place. Uh, tra- a tragic event happened, and we had nothing to fall back on or even help out with officers that were experiencing the trauma and things like that that occurred. Yeah. Uh, I After that, they put one in place. I transferred to a smaller department in the same, uh, same state, same county, and they immediately started a peer support unit and asked if I wanted to be a part of it, and I jumped right on board. Yeah. Yeah. They, they started providing a lot of training for us and stuff and just getting us familiarized with the different type of programs that are out there, such as, as Shatterproof. I just found out about you but today, but yeah. organizations similar to your yeah. organization. And uh, shortly after that, uh, we, had, we had an officer killed in the line of duty yeah. at the small department. Yeah. It was their first loss in 40 years, 35 years, yeah. I think, Horrible. something like that. Yeah. So they hadn't lost an officer before. I unfortunately had had that experience multiple times before with my last agency, but didn't have an outlet or a peer support team to lean on or to, yeah. to talk to. So it, it's just it's an incredible organization to have in place for police departments because it just it gives you different avenues and different uh, organizations to reach out to. Yeah. And I, and I think there's an assumption out there. There's a misnomer out there that agencies have, you know, all these resources available to them, that they have peer support teams. And a lot of them don't. 
You know, no. they're just, I mean, I came from an agency, of course, I started a long time ago in law enforcement. We didn't have peer support or anything like that. You go through a critical incident, you're back on the street. Um, right. So I think, you know, departments, I think, are, are starting to catch on to the importance, but I still think we have a, a long way to go. Definitely, definitely do. I, I, I have a previous military background, and it yeah. was suck it up and keep on yeah, moving. Like me. Mike me. <laughs> exactly. You don't talk about your problems. No, you if you don't got talk problems, about you get medically discharged yeah, exactly, with that. You know, yeah. you're medically Section discharged. Section 8, yeah. Well, you know, even in military, they're starting to get away from that. Yeah. Hey, we're not talking about this. We're not doing this. And, and that's the wrong, yeah. completely wrong avenue to take. And, and I, I noticed, like, when I got out, it, literally you didn't claim anything. And now I think they're, they're quicker to label people with PTSD because it actually helps them and gives exactly. them additional benefits outside in the VA yeah. and stuff. Where when I was in, getting out, it was yeah. like, nope, nope. Yeah. You claim PTSD, we're getting your medically discharged. Yeah. You know, Section 8, you're, you're gone. So You know, and I think, I mean, you know, why – I think the biggest stigma in law enforcement, you, you're on the job, I did it for a long time, is just getting those first responders to realize that it's okay to come forward. I think it's a culture thing. I talk about this a lot on the show. It still permeates the profession where we have a culture. Not everybody, not every department. Some departments are better than others, but we still have a culture out there where, oh, Jim comes forward with a problem or something. I don't want to work with Jim anymore. Or you know, you know what I mean? So I think it's a culture thing in organizations. But I think we've come a long way, brother. I, I really do. It's like... Even when you can get a veteran officer, because we've had veteran officers that reach out. And, yeah. and after explaining to them, you know, I've been on quite a while now, but telling them I've reached out for help. Yeah, I've exactly. had this help. And they see and that. And they see it's, that. It's helped me. You don't have to talk to me, but talk to somebody. Yeah, exactly. We'll get, you the, we'll get you the help you need yeah. with these different organizations, such as Shatterproof yeah. and, and other ones that yeah, are out yeah. there. So. Yeah, I mean, too many of our brave men and women are, are, you know, suffering in silence. Unfortunately, some of them take their lives. And that needs to stop because uh, yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. We just need to come forward, folks. If you're suffering out there, just come forward. Reach for help. Call me. Call Alex Manias at Shatterproof. We're going to get you the help you need. Jim, thank you so much, brother, for stopping by. It's an honor to talk to you and keep up the good work. And thank you for your service, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm here, Patrick, at Police Week 2022. My good friend Alex Manias from FHE Health. We are here with John David. He just stopped by, and he's doing wonderful things for veterans and first responders. What's up, brother? Thank you for hey, stopping by. Not much, man. It's great to be here. Thanks so for having me. So what brought you to Police Week, brother? Well, our organization, I work for Mighty Oaks Warrior Program. We're a uh -huh. nonprofit. We work with veterans and first responders. Um, our founder, Chad Robichaux, was good friends with a, a guy named Jim Clock, who was producing and making a movie, uh, Service and Sacrifice. It was a documentary about police officers and, and really showing stuff outside of, like, really who they are. And, awesome. and get that feel of the, of the things that we go through as police officers, yeah. the emotional side and the family side. And I came out here to watch the movie premiere, and it was amazing. Yeah. Definitely amazing, and now I'm just out here checking it out, just making contacts with guys, yeah. such as yourself. Yeah. And uh, it's just great to be here. You know, it's awesome, man, with all the crap going on in the world and all the anti-police rhetoric. It's nice to see uh, an event like this where so many people are out here supporting our brave men and women, brother. Oh, ab absolutely. Last night I went to the memorial, the law yeah. enforcement memorial, and that really hit me hard. Yeah. Just seeing all the men and women that have given their lives for what we do, and it really brought back a lot of things for me. I mean, I've been out of law enforcement since 2004. Yeah. I was involved in three shootings, and uh, they retired me, so that was enough. Yeah. But seeing that and seeing all the loss and obviously having some partners that had lost their life, um, it really hit me hard and just gave me a uh, – man, got me a little bit emotional, to yeah. tell you the truth, just seeing that and – it's just great to see something like that, the uh, love and support and, and something that big yeah. for, 
for the police officers yeah. in this country. Yeah, I always said, and maybe I'm just naive, I, I think the majority of people out there support law enforcement. I just wish they were more vocal. Oh, I agree 100%. That silent majority. Yeah. And I have a good friend. Um, he's a Tulsa police officer, Mike yeah. Griffin, who uh, says it's time for the silent majority to stand up exactly. and stop being silent. Well, I think we're seeing it now, brother, in uh, D.C. I Thank you so much, man, for, for stopping by. If people want to reach out to you, brother, and find the great work that you're doing, where can they, where can they find you? Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, you just go on, online. It's uh, www.mightyoaksprograms.org. Okay. Uh, you go on there. You can check us out um, if you're interested. It's for men and women. Uh, we have pro- legacy programs for veterans, uh, active duty, first responders. They could be retired. Um, so we do programs that are that are, is a mix of veterans and first responders, and then we do first responder only programs, which is really building. We awesome. when I first started, we weren't even in the first responder community. And this was about six years ago, and now we've grown to where we're having four programs a year just for first responders, and we're hoping to double that, or I hope to triple that next year. Um, So it's great. Great the support we get for the first responders, as well as the, yeah. the military and veterans, as it, as it should be. Yeah. Well, thank you for your work, brother. Thank you for your service. It was an honor to meet you. Uh, and everything will be linked up in the show notes when I push this show out. It's going to be kind of a collaboration of different guests, brother, and you'll be up there with all your contact information. Thank you for serving, man, oh. and thank you for being here and showing the support. And, yeah, God bless you, man. Thank you. God bless you, brother. All right, brother. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Patrick here from Police Week here in D.C. My good friend, Alex Menes. We represent FHE, Shatterproof Program for First Responders. And we've been grabbing people as they go by, and they're telling us their story and the great things they're doing for our brave men and women. Mike is on the show. He's from Peacekeepers for Life. Mike, how you doing, brother? Good. How you doing, Pat? Oh, man, tell us what you're doing and tell us how you're helping you know, the blue and all these other people in criminal justice. Well, to give you a little background, I'm, I'm a combat vet from the first Gulf War in 1990. I served as a Navy corpsman with the uh, Marine Corps Ooh, combat uh, unit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, after I served there, I went into uh, nursing. And I've had my nursing license for about 30 years. And during the beginning of my nursing career, I joined the police department. And I've been a police officer, and I retired in 2012 um, after about 21 years. And I've also been working in EMS off and on for about the last 25 years and also teaching. So I formed this organization. Do you sleep at all? Or? No. <laughs> I'll, I'll rest when I'm dead, basically. Um, so it's one of those kind of things where in 2016, I kind of had an epiphany where I was just tired of yeah. hearing about all the police suicides and yeah. first responder suicides. And not necessarily coming up with a reason as to why it was happening, but kind of coming up with a way to, to educate so people can understand that real human people do mm-hmm. actually suffer. So. Yeah. I started my organization, Peacekeepers for Life, and literally what I do is I literally just travel the country um, with my service dog. Um, his name's Abrams, and he and I travel the country, and we hit probably about 40 to 45 states, about over 300 events a year, and we basically educate and advocate on the effects of PTSD mm-hmm. and police, fire, first responders, and our military. Yeah. I mean, you, thank you for your service, brother. I mean, you... you you spent a lot of time in law enforcement. You were military. I mean, do you think we're making headway with the mental health uh, challenges that first responders face? I mean, I think we're, it's better than it used to be when I got into it, probably when you got into it, but I, th- I still think we got a lot of work to do. It's definitely anything in the first responder community, as far as prevention, is more reactionary. Yeah, exactly. Even though cops are proactive on the streets. You know, firefighters are, you know, all about wellness and all, you know, barbecuing and all that kind of, you know, all that, all that good stuff. 
but it's choir one of those, practice. Hey, choir practice, exactly. <laughs> so it's one of those kind of things where we're 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 still behind the curve. Yeah. But we're trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely an effort. The big thing, and and I hate the word stigma. I hate the word. I mean, the 22, yeah. 22 number. Where they came up with, I have no idea. Yeah. But the bottom line is, my philosophy is is one is too many. Yeah. So exactly. until that number zero, I don't care if it's three hundred or four. Yeah. Till it's zero, I'm not done, and and I'm not going to stop until I'm in the ground. So. Yeah, exactly. And and the hardest thing for me before I went into treatment, before I took that first step, I mean, taking the first step was difficult, but I was so afraid of what people were going to think. You know, my ego got in the way. I was scared to death. But once I started reaching out and I realized that I wasn't alone, that so many other people, I, I came to the conclusion that, you know, and this is just my opinion, that, you know, people that are suffering, and there's a lot of them, God help them, their problems aren't unique, meaning that people have gone, you know, have dealt with Absolutely. the same same problems, PTS, you know, I mean, suicidal ideation. So uh, I always encourage people, just reach out to people, reach out to Mike, reach out to me, reach out to FHG, and just talk to people that have been in your shoes and to, you know, to get you that encouragement to take that first step. Absolutely. And if you think about it, I mean, you go back, this goes back to the World War. They've called it multiple things. Yeah. Today, it's PTSD. It's a stigma. That's that's a that's kind of a misnomer. Yeah, it was combat it kind of, stress back in the day. Yeah, and, exactly. Oh. But then you've got complex PTSD yeah. where it goes into your childhood and all yeah. that, all those kind of things. But you know, I was talking to someone earlier today at our booth, and they were bringing up about how you know, cops with twenty years experience with no military experience have seen more trauma and more you know catastrophe in their life than someone who exactly. served in the Afghanistan. Well, what they don't understand is that you got these guys who are coming back from deployment. They are pushing all that stuff down in their rucksack, hiding all those feelings and all that PTSD, all that stress to get hired on by the police department. And then something triggers them on that job that causes that to happen. And now it's, is it police related or is it related to the military career? Or depending on the treatment program you go to, Save a Warrior, Mighty Oaks, FHE, any of those, you know, they get in, they deal with the childhood and reasons why, you know, you have the codependency and you have the the coping mechanism, whether it's drugs or alcohol or porn or whatever it is. Do do you think that the younger generation is coming up in in the first responder field, brother, uh, do you think they're more apt to asking for help? I mean, I I know that's kind of a broad question, but people like you, our age group, we we were just... At least I was, you know, groomed and brought up to just suck it up. And, and you know, or do you think the younger generation is more apt to, to go this forward? This generation right now, and, and I'm not going to sugarcoat <laughs> it because I just don't even in my talks. Um, this generation is a lot more sensitive. Yeah. So they're going to call out the bullshit, if you will, yeah, if something's exactly. bugging them or they don't like something that happened. I can remember one time in uh, early 2000s, had a, had a dead baby call. Um, and it was one of those kind of things that it just really kind of messed me up because I had just had a newborn. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it kind of got me. And I was not doing well. And the next call I went to, my sergeant called me over to a coffee stop at a 7-Eleven. And he literally got in my face and said, dude, you need to suck it up. This, yeah. is, not, this is not what it's about. Stop being a little, you know, a little you know, bitch, if yeah, you will. And yeah, exactly. Let's get back in the game. Because yeah. that's the way they handled things back then. Because they didn't know. They didn't know. No, they didn't you know. know. And I still talk to that sergeant today. Yeah. And he's struggling himself just yeah. from things that he's... And he did 35 years. Yeah. You know, but it's just, it's one of those kind of things where our pride, you know, you put that badge on, it's a cool thing. One thing that I'm really starting to find um, through some of the research that I've been doing is that a lot of people who get into public, the public sector, they get in it for the, the good, the majority get in it for the good reasons yeah. and based on what the oath that they take and whatnot. But a lot of people, they really truly get into it deep and they let it identify who they are. Yeah, exactly. And I in know police that was my work, problem. Yeah, yeah. And in police work and fire service, if you get hurt, then what are you going to do? You've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years. 
then what are you going to do? All you've known is this job you had, and now you're just lost. Yeah. And that's where we lose a lot of guys yeah. after that kind of stuff. And, and you hit it, man. When I retired in 2019, you know, I, I was, you know, police work was in the rearview mirror for me. But I didn't realize until I started going through problems that how you hit it, how much of my identity was tied up in being right. a cop. Right. I mean, 23 years. I mean, I was like, I can't just shake that stuff. And you mentioned military. When I started going through treatment, all this stuff came out, not just with law enforcement, but military stuff that I, I witnessed and saw 30 years ago. Right, right. So it, it, it was crazy how it, and I don't mean to use crazy in a bad way, but no, it no, was, no, no, you no, know, no. coming out and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a tough job. We all know that. And, and the thing that you and I didn't have, brother, when we were coming through, the, you know, in our, when we were growing up in law enforcement, is we didn't have social media. We didn't have all that no. stuff now. Where now, and we didn't even have politicians that were, it was open warfare on cops. Generally, when I remember, and I don't know what your perception was, but, you know, generally politicians, when I was a young cop, they would stay out of, you know, they wouldn't make, I mean, they, basically they supported the police. Now you have sometimes both sides of the aisle right, that are exactly. openly attacking our brave men and women. And then you got social media on top of that. So, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine being a young officer today. Yeah, it's, another thing is, you know, we just got out of the, we're just getting out of the COVID. Yeah, which exactly. COVID is gone, by the way. Just yeah, yeah. Well, until the fourth there. wave comes. Well, yeah, until, <laughs> until the elections. So, and then basically, not to get political. But anyway, so now we've got this whole thing where, what are we dealing with now? you got nurses and doctors who were exactly. heroes two years ago, and now they're, excuse the expression, zeros. Yeah. So I've been tracking nurse and healthcare worker suicides in this country, and it's over 600 today yeah. since January 1st. You know, and, and I'm glad you mentioned, you know, our, our medical uh, personnel and our professionals because nurses are really on the, and the doctors are really on the forefront, right. obviously. Exactly. Especially during COVID. And I think they get forgotten a lot, you know. Absolutely. Um, and so big shout out to all the medical personnel out there working. Amen to that. Uh, a very difficult job, as, well, as long with other first responders. I think dispatchers kind of oh, get dispatchers, lost. dispatchers, right. You know, correctional officers, I think they get lost. The Volunteer service that worked yeah, the traffic yeah, at the yeah, fatal. Exactly. All those guys. So let's not let's not forget about them, folks. And Mike, if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you in Peacekeepers for Life? You're doing amazing work well, all I'm around a, the country. I am on Facebook, Peacekeepers for Life, also under the Canine Patriot, um, and then uh, just social media with the Instagram and the uh, the Facebook. And then uh, they can they can call me direct. I'll even give my phone number. Oh, go ahead. Seven one four two nine zero two five seven one. My phone's on twenty four seven. I'm. I hate to say it, but I'm talking people off the ledge almost every night. Yeah, yeah. And like yeah. I said, I'll sleep. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah, yeah. I'll rest when I'm dead. You're doing God's work, brother. Michael Zanito, thank you for stopping Thanks by, Thanks for brother. having me, Pat. Appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, all right, all man. Right. Take care. Thanks. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. So excited to have my friend right here popped in for Police Week uh, here in Tent City, Mike Van Meter. Yeah. Michael, what's up, brother? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it's amazing. It's great to see FHE Health here, which you guys are representing. Yeah. And they sponsor my podcast, which is called Recovery is Possible. And, you know, with COVID going on the last two years, they didn't have Police Week. And yeah. I have been working at Police Week for... A number of years um, running AA meetings, doing some breakout groups, and really doing a lot of work. And the funny thing is, I'd completely forgotten <laughs> that that it was May. <laughs> number one, and so Alex here was telling me that, hey, you got to come down and, and check us out at Tent City. And I'm like, well, what the heck is Tent City? And he said, Tent City at Police Week. And I went. Police week. So I came down. It was great to come and see you guys. It was yeah. unplanned. I wish yeah. the weather was better, but yeah. we're yeah, here. But it's good. I mean, a lot of people out here. And it's a great show of support. Obviously, a lot of Leos here, but I, I didn't make the candlelight vigil last night. Right. But I heard that there was just a ton of people out there, and that's always 
reassuring, you know, uh, seeing people out there supporting Leos from every level, feds, state level, local Everybody. level. And, see people uh, from all over the country, all over the world, actually. Yeah, I saw uh, some here. people here from uh, Germany, some yep. cops from Germany yesterday. But Mike Van Mater, you were a D.C. cop for, yeah. for a while. Then you moved to the federal government. You worked for the FBI, the Bureau, for a number of years. And I was in the Navy prior to and that. In the Navy prior yeah. to that. You mentioned your podcast. I mean... You are doing so much for, for law enforcement and community now. We had a little little bit of a conversation about how you, you retired from the FBI. And this is not an indictment on the FBI, but you know you were talking about how there there wasn't a lot of resources when you no. when you were working for for mental health and, right. and addiction issues and things like that. Can you talk a little bit more about that if you're comfortable? Yeah, absolutely. And um, just to clarify, I, it's not it's nothing that's unique to the FBI. Yeah. It's in fact I was just uh, over at. Um, uh, Fallen Angel? Yeah, yeah. Or Irish Angel. I, Irish Amanda Angel. Coleman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Irish Angel. When I was talking to those folks, and, and actually there were a lot of uh, officers from different agencies while we were standing there talking, and they talked about their own agencies. And the fact is that it's not just the FBI. There are very few agencies. In fact, as I'm sitting here, and maybe you can do the same, I can't point to an agency in the country that I think is doing really what they ought to be no. doing for the wellness no. of their officers when it comes to PTSD, you know. addiction issues, mental health issues. So again, it's, it's my, but my perspective was the FBI. Yeah. And I really thought that the, the FBI could have done more when I went through my journey, you know, getting into recovery. And now I'll give them credit. When I got through my recovery journey and I sat down and I talked to them about what the experience was like, there were a lot of people that sat down with me and helped us develop a course to the National Academy, and I see that there's yeah, some National Academy you, yeah, folks here, yeah. and we developed a course called Leading At-Risk Employees, which helps train the police executives develop programs within their agencies. And so I will give them credit for that, because that was something that was unique. It's still taught down there yeah, to this exactly. day. So that was good. But it's the whole community, and not just police, it's first responders and military really need to be doing more in this issue to help the people that are suffering because our suicide rate in the military and in first responders yeah. is horrendous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrendous. horrendous. It's horrendous. And, and what, I mean, you, you were in law enforcement on, on the municipal level, federal level. What, what do you think the, the, the challenge is now? I mean, I guess it's always been there, the stigma behind mental health. You know, mm -hmm. you say mental health. Yeah. Even to this day, people kind of cringe. You know, I mean, I, is it, do you think we're ever going to break that stigma of talking about and being more open? You mentioned, I agree with you 100%. Most agencies aren't doing anything. They might talk right. the talk. They're not walking the walk. Right. I mean, do you think we'll They'll ever They'll all tell you. They will all tell you that, they're, that this is a priority, but I don't see the <laughs> yeah, evidence of it. Yeah, but behind the scenes. I don't see the evidence of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think some departments are, are a little bit better than others, but I agree. I mean, I think we've come away, but I think there's a, a long way to go. Yep. And the more people out there like you, me, other people, many other people talking about these issues, not being afraid to talk about these issues, I think that helps break down some walls. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, go ahead, sir. Well, I, I was going to say the, if you're going to get help, not just with addiction, but even with mental health issues, we are in a profession, whether it's military, first responders, if you're an EMT, medic, firefighter, police officer, agent, this is a profession that requires toughness. It requires resilience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are the people, the people in the public come to us for help. We, yeah. don't, we don't go to them. That's just the way that it is. And when you're talking about recovery in the 12 steps, for example, step one of AA, I'm powerless over alcohol. My life has become unmanageable. That's step one. Sure. 
powerlessness, unmanageability. We all understand un unmanageability, but when it comes to that powerlessness part, that's what people struggle with. Yeah. What do you mean I'm powerless Not being over in control, something? yeah, not being in control. I'm in control. No, yeah. you're not in control. Yeah. And I'll tell you something, that this is sort of the litmus test I always have with people. And because people will come to me, hey, Mike, do you think I'm an alcoholic? My boss thinks I'm an alcoholic. My wife thinks that I'm an alcoholic. Do you think I'm an alcoholic? And this is how I respond to them. I'm not qualified to say that because that's actually a medical term. Sure. So I'm not a medical doctor. But what I will say this is this, and you need to ask yourself or, or ask deeper questions here for yourself because ultimately you're the, the one that needs to decide Absolutely. whether you have a problem or not. Do normal social drinkers, people that do not have problems, even have this discussion? Yeah. They don't? Uh, they don't. Uh, the fact that somebody in your life brought this to your attention means it's yeah, a problem. It's a, it's a huge red flag. The thing that causes a problem in your life is, by definition, definition a problem. Yeah. So look at that. Don't even get into the DSM-5 and, and you know the, the technicalities. The fact that your boss pointed that out, the fact that your wife or your children or your husband or significant other points this out, by definition, it's a problem. Okay. Now, getting help from your agency, I wish everybody could. A lot of people are reluctant for a lot of different reasons. In my world, you know, that you're afraid you're going to lose your security clearance, your gun. Yeah. Um, so people are reluctant. They think they're going to lose their job. But the fact is that if you get help because it's a, a prop, if it is a problem, when you, the earlier you can get help, the less chance that any of that is going to happen. Absolutely. In the federal, if you're a federal agent and you're listening to my voice right now, you need to know that you will not lose your job if you get help. And I'm telling you that, that from uh, personal experience. When you fill out your SF-86 and they get to that drug and alcohol question, it is okay to say that you receive treatment. But listen to me closely. If you are somebody that needs help and does not get help, then you are a security risk and you're risking losing you know, everything that you can. Because what's going to get you your security clearance pulled and getting your gun pulled is the fact that you have disciplinary issues, a DUI or some yeah, other disciplinary yeah. that That's really what gets all of that stuff taken yeah. from you, not the fact that you have an issue. Yeah. Does that and, make sense? Yeah, and looking at the, if I could just piggyback on what you just said, looking at the macro picture, you know, I get it. I understand the fear with losing a security clearance, losing your gun, losing your badge, losing your status, your identity, all that <laughs> stuff. But I looked at it when I was going through my struggles. I know you had your struggles. I was looking at the bigger picture. So if I don't get help now, okay, you're not going to be a cop forever. You're not going to be a fed forever. What does the bigger picture look like? You need to get that help because when you leave this job, and everybody does, whether it's retirement, hurt, you know, whatever the, the reason may be, okay, what are you going to do at the next level? Right. You know what I mean? So right. you, lose, you don't get help. You're, you're afraid, and, and I understand that. But you, you're an alcoholic, and, and you're going to, and maybe you work for the FBI or a local agency or whatever, and you do something to screw up, get fired, terminate it. Okay, you still have your addiction problems, and now you're just in the civilian. You know what? Right. You, does that make sense? Yeah. Looking at the macro part of it, you have to deal with the micro part of it. You do. Right, right in front of you, but long term. Because you know, if you go, if you think about it, if you retire from this job, and you're absolutely right, and people need to understand, you did not come into this world as a police officer, military officer, exactly, uh, special operator, agent, whatever. Yeah. You didn't come into the world, and you're not leaving this world yeah, exactly. as that. Exactly. And you have to get well, because the fact is, you can't go down the street and work at the local drive-thru and be inebriated. Yeah. They'll fire you in a heart. Yeah. In fact, 
they'll fire you faster than our agency yeah, would have. They'll exactly. at least work with you. They'll try. <laughs> but you work down at uh, you know the local drive-through. Yeah, they'll fire you in yeah. a heartbeat. And we want you to be well, no matter what you do. We want you to be a whole person, a a person that is free of addiction and living a a, a, a free, fruitful life. Yeah. And folks. If you think that your whole world is this particular job and that and the problem with and this is a real problem we can talk about this too how people's identities are wrapped up in this Mine was for years. At yeah. all of us. Yeah. Everybody I know and and I was the same way but I can tell you from experience and everybody else that I know too that when you retire 2 weeks later you're going to go back into that office and they're going to look at you. Who are you? Yeah, who are you? Never heard of you. Yeah. Phone call stop. In the nose, you stops. All, you know, being in the know, all that stuff stops. The day you announce your retirement, you walk out the door. You know what they do, right? Yeah. They they take your badge. They they take you out of the, the badge gets scanner. Promoted. You get, they've already <laughs> deleted you. They've sent an email out going, "Don't let him back yeah, in yeah, the building." Access denied. They've if you've got a car, you got to take him car. They've given yeah, that away. Yeah, life goes on. You know, dude, it is not. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. It, it is a brotherhood when you're in, but you're when you're in the club, you're in yeah. the club. When you're out of the club. You're out of the club. And the reality is, is that we're all doing, you, you went on to bigger and better things, and we're all living longer, most of us, and we all have another life outside of law enforcement. Hopefully, so, yeah. Yeah, so take care of yourself. You, know, you have to take care of yourself. It's the old, you know, the old saying, you've all heard it, you know, on an airplane, you're going to put the mask on you first. If you're not taking care of yourself right. first, and I know that's beaten into people, but that is the truth. The day I went to treatment, the day I got help is the day I was reborn. Because yeah, it, it, it was oh my god, you know why did I do this earlier? And I understand the fear and the trepidation behind it. I get it. I was there, but really taking that first step and, and getting help and, and and you know looking out for yourself first. I'm mm-hmm. not saying be a narcissist or anything like that, but you have to take care of yourself first. Mike, when I was in treatment, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you learned this when you were going through your stuff, is I learned to become very very selfish with my mental health and my my care, yes. my self care. Yeah. Not to the point where I was ignoring my family, my kids. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I'm going to do what's best for me right now because I need to be at 100% now for, for my kids, my grandkid, all that stuff. So if you're listening out there, take that step forward. Yeah, and you, know, and you raise a good point. It's not being there's, – there's one area we in the recovery world say to – you know, because when you're in addiction, my case was addiction, right? Yeah. Or maybe it's a mental health issue. It was about all you. Let's face it. You know, drinking came exactly. first. Exactly. Yeah, number case. one. That was it. So what we say to people is the one area that we don't ask you to change that, to maintain selfishness, is in your recovery. Because after all, it, without my recovery, without that, I won't have yeah. the relationship with the wife, the kids, grandkids, exactly. uh, my employer. That has to come for You do not have a higher priority than your recovery, yeah. if, if you're somebody in recovery. Yeah. That is your number one recovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it will not make your life any any worse. No, it's going to make it better. Mm-hmm. Now, tell us about, I had the honor, brother, to be on your amazing podcast <laughs> uh, a while ago, about a month ago, and it was just, we talked, I think we could have talked all day. Uh, we talked about a bunch of issues we were just talking about now. If t- Tell us the name of the podcast again. I know it, but for the listeners who don't know it and they want to tune into your fabulous show, how can they find it? Where can they find you? Okay, so it's called Recovery is Possible, and it's on all of the podcast platforms. You can also go to my website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com, all one word, vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. 
And on that website, there's a lot of material on there sure. that uh, the listeners will find useful on not just alcohol and drug addiction, but other things mm-hmm. as well. Mental health. There are some eating disorder um, uh, videos and, and resources that are on there because I've had people ask me about that. And on there, you can link directly to the podcast. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of different ways that you can get to it. Yeah. And you are on one of the episodes, yeah, which was I great. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It was such a wonderful time going on there. And like I said, yeah. we could have talked all day. Mike Van Meter, thank you for stopping by, brother. Yeah. Thank you for your service to this country, both locally and federally. And keep doing the great work you're doing for our brave men and women. And you you as well. Folks, this is this is great. Uh, I really enjoy seeing all the folks that are <laughs> yeah. that are down here. Uh, these are the people that protect our community, and uh, we're doing everything that we can well, it's to protect nice, them. It, well, and it's yeah. nice, Mike, to, to walk around and see officers at ease, you know, kind of like with their guard down, having a good time, talking yeah. to people. You know, it, it's almost like the hypervigilance is kind of taking a notch down, you know, a little yeah. bit. At least I, that's the feeling I get. You know, people are talking to everybody and stuff like that. Of course, we're among cops. So, yeah. But it's, it's nice to see everybody having a good time. and. Uh, some civilians out here supporting our, our local heroes. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me All on right, the podcast. Brother, this is you. awesome. All right, Mike. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon, brother. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Patrick here, Police Week 2022. I'm here with Stephanie, former Dallas PD. Thank you for your service, Stephanie. You're doing great things now Yeah. for our first responders. Tell us a little bit about you. So, um, well, right now I'm in private practice. I'm a registered psychology associate in Maryland, and so I am part of a private practice up there. And um, I do psychological assessments. Uh, That's my primary focus. I do a little bit of therapy as well. But um, because of my law enforcement background, I really try to make sure that when um, we have law enforcement or Mm -hmm. even firefighters, anybody military who comes in, you know, I really try to make sure that they're expedited if I can to get them the help that they need so I can do that evaluation and, you know, give them those recommendations and the resources that they would need. Yeah. And the one thing we were talking about before we started, Stephanie, is that you get it. You You were a police officer for a long time. Dallas PD, so it really is amazing when, when people like you who get it, who walk the walk, talk the talk, are helping first responders because, as you know, as, as a clinician, that it's very hard for first responders to come forward and reach out because there's that trust issue yeah. with, you know, I'm, I'm not just going to talk to anybody. I'm going to talk, I want to talk to a peer. I want to talk to somebody who's been through it, right? Yeah, yeah. It was actually funny. I, uh, I was doing an evaluation on another officer and uh, while we were in the middle of evaluation, we just started swapping stories. Yeah, and it yeah. was just this very cool, like, natural experience of, you know, I was getting great clinical information from him, but at the same time, like, he was really opening up. I was yeah. getting to see a lot of those things. And so it was very cool to, uh, to do that because I felt like, and I told my boss, I was like, that was the most fun report I've gotten to write because I just, like, I just knew him yeah, so well bond. from being it's, able to sleep. Yeah, yeah it's that it was, bond, immediate bond with, with police officers, men and women. I mean, you can get them from, like here, you can get them from, all different parts of the country, all yeah. different parts of the world. We come together as a brother and sisterhood, and everybody's just like, hey, you know, and there's no judgment or anything like that because no. we've all been through the crap. So, I mean, amazing. If people wanted to reach out to you, I mean, I mean, you're, you're young. You're, I'm a lot <laughs> older than that. you. Um, so you're probably big on social media, right? You have a social media presence, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, my, so my, I mean, my practice does. So I work with Quince Orchard Psychotherapy yeah. in Rockville, Maryland. Um, so we're over there if anybody's in the area. Love to see ya. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's the website? It's I think it's QOP. I, 
<laughs> of course you put me on the spot. <laughs> My boss is going to be like, what? No, Quince Orchard Psychotherapy. Okay, um, we can Google it. Yeah. yeah, Google it. So it's spelled, I like being from Texas, Quince is spelled like quince, like the Spanish word. Okay. So, um, it, but it's pronounced Quince. Now your husband's in the army. Yeah, my husband's in the army. Big hoo to your ar- your husband. <laughs> I was I was in the army a long time ago before you were born, probably Stephanie. Uh, I was. With I, the, I appreciate. Uh, I, was with, <laughs> I think you think I'm a lot younger I, than I was I am. with the 82nd. <laughs> And uh, and what's your what's your husband doing? He's in civil affairs. Yeah, right? so he's in civil affairs right now. He's actually a fellow at the State Department. That is amazing. Um, doing yeah. lots of great stuff there, and so um, on to Fort Belvoir next. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, any any words you can give our brave men and women out there serving uh, in law enforcement and the criminal justice field? Any any final words you can want to give them? I mean, just don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah. Like, because usually by the time you've gotten to that point, it's starting to get like crisis yeah. mode, right? Like, it's okay to have somebody that you talk to, even if it's just once a month. But to have that lifeline there is so important to just already have that established. That way, when you are having that rough time, you know, it's there. You can call them and say, hey, I need to bump a session up or whatever it is. Like, don't, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And the big thing for me, you bring up really good points. You know, the, the, the hardest thing for me was taking that first step. Yeah. And, and trust me, for listeners out there, I mean, that's the hardest step, the first step. But once you take that first step to your recovery, I mean, it's, at least it was for me. Everybody's different, but it's, it's a game changer because the fear went away. Yeah. I wasn't ashamed anymore. I wasn't afraid. I put my ego aside because I think that's a lot of it. You were former law enforcement, yeah. and we got this ego, and we got to be tough, and we, we can't let down our guard. But once I stepped forward, it was a game changer, and then I was on the road to recovery. Yeah. Know? No, you're, I mean, spot on. Like, yeah, exactly. Just making that first call is so important. Yeah, well, Stephanie, you're awesome. Thank you oh, for hopping you. on. I it was, love what you guys do. This yeah, is fantastic. Yeah, this is awesome. Again, Shatterproof, we're down in uh, Deerfield, Florida, and we'd love to, to collaborate with you in the future. Yeah, sounds good. Thank right. you so much. All right, Stephanie. All right, bye. Hey, everybody. Patrick from Police Week here in D.C. Alex Minez with we're with uh, FHE Shatterproof for First Responders. I have the honor of talking to Zachariah Cartledge for Running for Heroes, and I, I, I just met you young man and you are doing some amazing work for our brave men and women who serve and I know you've been all over the place you run all over the place you've been on every show possible tell us tell my tell my listeners who you are brother yeah so my name is Zachariah Cartledge I am 13 years old I'm the founder of the nonprofit running for heroes basically whenever a police officer or a firefighter passes away in the line of duty I run a mile in their honor um, I also give monthly $10,000 checks to injured first responders, and we also raise money for canines and families of fallen first responders. So we've done just over 1,230 miles since I've started, unfortunately. Um, we've given back over $275,000 to injured first responders, and another total $100,000 for families of fallen and $10,000 for canines. Um, and as of three weeks ago, we just raised over a million dollars in total for our nonprofit. Oh, my God. So what got you started? I mean, did you just, uh, how did you start this? What was the catalyst? So I started this about three years ago, but the main reason why I started was really about four and a half years ago. I went to this 5K called the Tunnel to Towers 5K. Um, I'm sure you've probably heard of that, and lots mm-hmm. of the listeners may have heard of that as well. Um, they do 5Ks across the United States for 9-11 first responders. And I was an avid runner. I, was a, I would go to a local 5K every single week and do some running because that's my hobby. And I went to this 5K, and I was inspired by all the first responders that were doing this relatively long run for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and they were carrying these full, they're carrying all their full gear on. Um, and I remember that run, yeah. Yeah, and obviously they were dedicated towards it, so there was yeah. a big meaning behind the run. So 
after the mile or the three mile run was over, I looked up more about Tunnel to Towers. And then uh, once I found out the honor 9-11 first responders, I watched a documentary with my parents about it. Um, I, was, I, was, I was in about third or fourth grade, and I actually decided to start raising money for Tunnel to Towers in 2018, and, sorry, 17. So in 2017, we raised money for Tunnel to Towers, and in total, we raised over $100,000 for them. So after getting all that support just as a donor, um, I wanted to branch out into my own nonprofit. So I looked at how much first responders, officers, and firefighters passed away in 2019, and it was around the same number as my mile count every year. So that's when I started the idea wow. of running for first responders, and I've been doing it ever since January 2019. That's amazing. So, I mean, family in law enforcement, you come from a family of first responders, or, or are you just, I mean... Yeah, I don't have a family of first responders at all. But um, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, that, that's my point. But usually, you know, in a, in a lot of instances, I interview a lot of people, and a lot of, you know, a lot of guests have, like, an uncle or dad or mom, somebody in, in the first responder community. We have a distant cousin who's in, who's a deputy for a local county about an hour away from us. But other than that, we don't have a lot of first responders in our family. Um, in fact, we have almost none. I have friends who have family in first responders, and that's also a big inspiration. Um, my best friend... Um, across the street, his dad's police officer, and who used to be a police officer. And before I started my mission, when whenever me and my friend mm -hmm. were playing, and he would get home and end around his shift around six o'clock, uh, he would before even going inside and taking off his equipment, he would come out and play uh, pick uh, uh, a quick pick me up game of basketball. And I always, at a young age, had a, a positive inter interaction with law enforcement. So that really did play a number on that. But after meeting people mm -hmm. and raising money, I started to realize more and more about first responders, um, and it wasn't really even from family. It was just from supporters just junior, and yeah. random people in the community, yeah. Yeah, and doing your research, and you know how difficult the job is. Absolutely. I admire the heck out of you, Zachariah, Thank for, you. for doing it. I mean, not only are you doing it for a good cause, for our brave men and women who serve, but you're an entrepreneur, and you're 12 years old. I 13. Mean, 13. Yeah. I mean, what... What else do you want to do? You're doing great stuff right now, but what's in the future for you? Yeah, so right now I uh, have been in a few different flight schools before. I want to be a commercial slash private pilot. Okay. Um, so I've been in a few schools before. I have my own sim set up at my house. Um, I've also been able to, with the help of many supporters, been able to fly a few planes in the past. So wow. um, I would like to get my pilot's license, which you can actually get at 15. So. Um, right now, that's what I'm pursuing. I've seen law. I mean, knowing that I run for fallen first responders, I've seen countless body cams and countless all yeah. of the, all of these incidents and the the strength, dignity, and courage and bravery that goes into being a law enforcement officer is beyond. I mean, it's it's beyond my words. I don't even know if I have that bravery in me. So if I never become a law enforcement officer, I will absolutely continue to support and respect the people who serve our great country because they are the men and women that we need to look up to. Well, you are an inspiration, my friend. I mean, for, for your generation come up, I, I got to tell you, uh, I got to tell you, Zechariah, you're probably the most articulate 13-year-old I have ever talked to. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I got to thank my parents for that as well. Yeah, they yeah, are amazing great people. parents. Yeah, I was going to say, it comes from that upbringing. So if people want to reach out to you, my friend, where can they find you? Yeah, website, all that stuff. So if they would like to donate or learn more about our board members or anything in Running for Heroes, other than our social media pages, they can go on www.runningthenumber4heroes.org. On there, there's a big donate button right when they go on that link, and they can donate there. Um, we're, we're the biggest uh, social media page we're on is Facebook. So it's uh, facebook.com slash runningforheroes, okay. um, running the number four heroes. 
We also have an Instagram page. They are a little bit smaller, but I forgot that link. But if you go on the Facebook page, which I just said, you can get linked up to the yes, Instagram as well. that's all on there. And everything will be up in the show notes. Any final words before we wrap up? I mean, you are one inspirational young kid, I tell you. Young Th man, I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had a great police week so far. This is my second one. We just got back from the main ceremony. Um, I got countless pictures of family with families and um, – I just want to thank all the families and first responders who are watch or, or listening to the podcast today. Uh, they're the main reason why I'm doing this, and I really appreciate their service. Well, Zacharach Cartledge, you are an inspiration, my friend. Thank you so much for thank popping you. on the show. Everything we talked about will be in the show notes. Thank you, man. Keep up the fantastic work. You're an I inspiration for a lot of people out there, brother. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Take care. Thank you. Such a great time talking to all those amazing people, as well as everybody else at Police Week in D.C. 2022. I look forward to next year. Please rate and review this show. Give us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We sure would appreciate it. Remember this, you are honored, cherished, and above all, you are loved. Please be safe and take care of each other. Stay tuned for more great guests on the top-ranked CJ Evolution podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the CJ Evolution podcast. For more strategies for self-improvement and resources based on today's episode, be sure to head to cjevolution.com. You can also connect to Patrick directly on social media at Pat underscore Fitzgibbons with any questions, comments, or concerns. We look forward to helping you find more personal success on the next episode of the CJ Evolution podcast.